to throw is Darnold. Looks left. Fires one down the left sideline. Towards the end zone. Robbie Anderson. He's got it. That's a jet touchdown. Dumps it to Bell. And Le'Veon Bell takes it. It's for the touchdown. Crowder across the 30. 35-40. Crowder turns on the Jets. He's going to go all the way. Jamison Crowder. Now it's intercepted by Mosley. He's going to score, Jim. And he's in. Touchdown, C.J. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. I'm your host, Ben Blessington, with Michael Nania. We're here with a very special episode. Uh, today, we're going to be joined by Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Uh, but before we do that, let's just hop into some quick things, uh, some some stuff to touch base on. Uh, first, Michael, how you doing, man? It's, it's a pretty crazy time. We're all stuck in quarantine inside. Are you staying sane? I'm doing great. I am very sane, as sane as ever. Just staying in here, watching <laughs> Trevon Wesco film and, you know, all the normal things that people do throughout their sounds, daily lives. So s- sounds like something a crazy person w- would say <laughs> watching spending their time watching Trevon Wesco uh, film. Uh, but I know you're doing that uh, for the website. Our, our podcast is part of JetsXFactor.com. You can get a subscription to the website or you get your first month free. Um, it's a really great website that that Michael and, and Robbie Sabo and Joe Blewett and a lot of other people have been working on. It's it's really high quality content that's that's here to stay. And, and our podcast is fortunate enough uh, to be a part of it. Uh, and again, you can follow our podcast at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow myself at Ben W Blessington on Twitter. You can follow Michael at, at Michael underscore Nania. And you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or at JetsXFactor. Com. Yes, we do have a very special episode as we will be joined by Manish Mehta in just a few minutes. But Michael, really quickly, let's just let's just touch on a, on a few things uh, that that we didn't get a chance to talk about that's happened in the the last uh, week. Uh, number one, I guess, kind of the most interesting signing would be uh, Patrick Onowosu. I don't know if I got that name right. Uh, C.J. Mosley, you know, close enough. Owasso. Uh, C.J. <laughs> Mosley. I mean, I mean, yeah. how else would I find out though? It's not like I would ask him. It. it Yes, it's certainly a, an interesting uh, name to pronounce and one that I will undoubtedly struggle with uh, for the next year. Um, but the, the Jets brought him in on another one-year contract. That was C.J. Mosley's running partner in Baltimore in 2018, and, and he actually performed quite well uh, with, with C.J. They had a great season next to each other. C.J. moved on. Ravens fans, and, and the Ravens looked to— uh, How was it pronouncing it, Michael? Owasso. Looked to Owasso uh, to, to fill C.J. Mosley's <laughs> role. He didn't have quite the same year, but the Jets brought him in uh, and he's a guy with with starting experience, has some uh, success at blitzing the quarterback and whatnot. But it does pose some questions towards Avery Williamson's future. Uh, so, Michael, what are your thoughts? The Jets now have six linebackers on this roster with starting experience. What do you think Joe Douglas's plan is? Do you think that that Avery Williamson could be on the chopping block, or do you think that you know he he wants to just have this much versatility at the linebacker position? Maybe Greg has something up his sleeve, or do you think that that Avery Williamson could be a candidate for a trade? Uh, in the draft, considering that Joe Douglas's former team, the Eagles, have a desperate need at middle linebacker. They need a starting there, a starter there. And then the Browns, uh, a team that uh, Joe Douglas's uh, close friend uh, from Philadelphia, Andrew Barry, is the GM of. So there's clearly some uh, you know options where maybe Avery Williamson could get moved. But overall, what are your thoughts on, on what Joe Douglas has done at the linebacker position? Talking about Patrick, I'm not going to pronounce his last name. And what do you think uh, Avery Williamson's um, future holds? Yeah, so the Owasso pickup, there it is. Just kind of get it in there. I know it's really weird. It doesn't look anything Owasso. like that. But yeah, so it was it was really interesting because it kind of came out of nowhere. We were expecting them to make a move at, you know, edge or another uh, position where they kind of had a greater need because 
they already brought back James Burgess and Neville Hewitt. And uh, once they had done that, you kind of it kind of seemed like they were set there. You know, those two guys started for them last season. They're not good starters, but they are good backups. They have particular skills uh, where they thrive, where they can help you out. Hewitt as a blitzer, Burgess against the run. So they made those moves and it seemed like they're all set there. And you still have Blake Cashman in there as well. But now you add Owasso and they're really stacked at the off ball linebacker spot. So uh, it really seems like it would be tough for them to enter the season with all these guys. But, you know, if they do, it's definitely one of the more stacked linebacker groups in the league. But uh, Owasso, like you said, in 2018, when he's playing next to CJ Mosley, he had a really good season, especially in the passing game, as he's one of the best pass rushing linebackers in the league. Uh, and in coverage as well, he was really good. Both of those facets in the passing game, he was elite. So they turned to him this season after Mosley uh, came to the Jets. He was their starter for the first five games, and he really struggled uh, in both of those phases. Kind of was the opposite of what he did uh, in 2018. Then he got hurt, and when he came back after a couple games, then he's back into a reserve sub-package kind of role. So, uh, you know, he's an interesting piece. He started on a really good defense in Baltimore, and Next to Mosley as well, that's where he played his best football in 2018. But uh, it'll be in- interesting to see because they can get those savings with Williamson. But at this point, they don't really need uh, to save the money with him. You know, free agency is boiled over. They still have, uh, I believe, the most cap space in the league, if not the second most. But they're up there. Uh, so they have plenty of space if they want to swing a trade at some point. So it's not like they really need the savings. But uh, he is coming off an ACL injury. And a lot of guys have recovered from that very smoothly in recent years. It does not sink his career by any means, but uh, it is something he has to bounce back from. So just to have some extra security uh, and to get a guy who's played well next to CJ Mosley, that could help out. And we know how versatile, you know, not just Greg Williams's defense is, but really any defense in the NFL. It's not just three, four or four, three anymore. Uh, there are so many different ways to deploy your defense and, you know, just with the way the league is now. Uh, so to have all these linebackers who are, you know, versatile, have passing game value, Uh, which is what Owasso does offer. And that's not something you get with Hewitt and James Burgess. I think that's really uh, where they're going with this. You have Cashman, who is, you know, a good pass rusher, pretty athletic in coverage. uh, And Owasso kind of offers the same skill set. So just to get some more passing game value at linebacker. But that uh, Avery Williamson being cut is definitely on the table. And you have to see how he recovers. So it definitely just gives them some more depth at a position that is uh, now probably the most sacked position on the roster. And uh, probably ar- arguably bigger, uh, not even arguably, bigger news for the New York Jets that we haven't uh, uh, covered since our last episode is Robbie Anderson. Uh, when we recorded, I believe it was you know a week and a half ago, Robbie Anderson was still in free agency. We were still waiting to see what would happen there. Ultimately, the Jets uh, did not bring back Robbie Anderson. Instead, he decided to reunite with Matt Rule uh, with the Carolina Panthers, and the Jets pivoted within the hour to sign Brashad Perriman, who's a guy that I'm intrigued by, that that I did like coming into free agency, but the question is, can he replace Robbie Anderson? Um, that is something that will have to be proven this year, uh, in addition to what exactly the Jets' plan at, at receiver is, because, you know, Perryman is a guy that I like and that I think could potentially be uh, uh, one of those key free agent signings that you look back on as, like, that was a great deal, uh, you, you bet on a player, um, to hit the boom, and he and he did. But he's a guy that's been a bit of a journeyman and was looked at, viewed as as a bust um, for the majority of his career. But he's still young. Uh, but if he doesn't hit, then you're relying on pretty much Jameson Crowder 
is the one guy that you know is constant, barring that he stays healthy. Then you're going to rely on some some rookies. You know, again, Joe Douglas has to trust his scouting uh, there. And then you're relying on on two tight ends that I do like. I like the group that the Jets have, but Chris Herndon's coming off a year long injury. Um, and Ryan Griffin didn't finish the year either. So it's certainly a shaky group right now for the Jets that, you know, if, if Joe Douglas drafts two receivers and, and he hits on both of them, I mean, we could be looking at the end of 2020 as, as the Jets have great weapons, but it could go e- very easily go the other way. Uh, it's kind of a, a high floor, low ceiling, uh, or excuse me, a, a, a low floor, high ceiling type of uh, unit for the Jets. As, as it stands, they still have to draft a few receivers, but Michael, just your thoughts on the whole Robbie situation, bringing in Perryman and, and what exactly Joe Douglas's plan is uh, for the receiving group. So once Robbie did go off the table, Perryman was definitely the guy. I mean, you were actually talking about it, like right before it happened. But, you know, once he did go off the table, uh, it was clear that Perryman was the best option available. And, and really, since the start, he was one of the better options. I thought he was going to get a huge deal based on the way he finished last season near the star free agency. But he didn't. Teams were smart about not investing on that. So once Anderson did uh, go to Carolina, then uh, getting Perriman made the most sense as a fallback option. But at the numbers they got, and, you know, Perriman's on a one-year deal, so the number itself doesn't really mean too much for the Jets, especially with, you know, like Manish is actually going to talk about uh, once we interview him, but they have so many one-year deals on this roster that they've just added. So it, it doesn't really matter what the number is for him, but, you know, Robbie got a deal that, you know, that's a number that I think anyone would have signed up. Uh, to bring him back on, you know, when the thoughts were that he's going to get 13, 14, 15 per year over three plus years, you know, that's when he would be a questionable value. But the deal he signed with Carolina, two years, 12 million the first year, eight in the second. Uh, not sure what the guarantees were, but it was definitely a deal that I would have brought him back on. And I really think they screwed that one up. But they do have Paraman now, uh, and he's definitely not an Anderson replacement in that he has been nearly as consistent. Uh, and can replace that production. But, you know, he is coming off a month in which he really revived his career because before December of last season, he was, you know, putting up some terribly inefficient numbers throughout pretty much his whole career, uh, a lot of games. with, And, you know, he's gotten playing time throughout his career. You look at his numbers, and it seems like he's barely played, but that's just how unproductive he's been. The His 2017 season with the Ravens is one of the worst ever, and this season with the Bucks, and he did. <laughs> have to play. I'm, I'm just putting the facts out here. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, he's okay. He's a journeyman. No, he was very bad in 2017. But uh, with the Bucks this past season, uh, he had uh, he did have to play behind Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, but he was still really unproductive until that month of December. But in December, he was uh, second in the league in receiving yards, just one yard behind Devontae Parker. So, uh, you know, we'll see if the Jets can get some of that production uh, from him in a larger role, but you know the odds are he's going to be more like what he was for the first you know 41 games of his career than he was for the last five. So uh, you know if they can get somewhere in between uh, the disappointment that he was to start his career for the first few years, uh, some combination of that and the way he finished last season, you know on a one-year deal that makes sense. But the Jets are really relying on uh, finding some talent on the outside in the draft because beyond Perriman, all you have. On the outside right now is Quincy Nunwa, who's, you know, you cannot trust him at all. As talented as he is, he might not even be that player anymore with everything he's had to deal with. You have Vincent Smith, who's, you know, a pretty good athlete, but doesn't really offer much as a receiver. Josh Bellamy, who's a special teams guy and is not a good receiver at all. Uh, and that's basically all. And Josh Jackson as well, who's another bust in his own right, just like Paraman. So you're really thin there. But uh, the silver lining is that at the other positions, the Jets are really good. Uh, 
if healthy at those positions. Crowder's a top 10 slot guy. Herndon and Griffin could be one of the better duos in the league if healthy. Bell is a top 5 to 10 receiving running back. So they're good at those positions, but you know, outside receivers where it all starts. So they're really relying on the draft to find right. some talent there. And for Perriman, hopefully, uh, you know, health has been a question for him as well. So hopefully he stays healthy uh, and he just gives you that big play production. Uh, a guy who could, Sam Darnold could just throw the ball up to, cause that is something he does offer. Uh, Joe Blewett went into it on jet sex factor. Uh, good plug there, but uh, he is really good with the, uh, <laughs> making acrobatic catches. That is something he does offer that Robbie Anderson does not quite offer, but you know, he's just not a complete player in terms of route running after the catch and all of that. So hopefully he stays healthy and provides, you know, some big play production, but the jets are really going to have to rely on those other positions. Crowder in the slot, kind of like a Patriots offense. You know, they've had Gronk, they've had Edelman running the offense. They feature their running backs out of the backfield a lot, whether it's James White, uh, Rex Burkhead, Danny Woodhead, some of the guys they've had uh, kind of like that, not really re- relying on the outside receivers so much and featuring the other positions. So it seems like that's what they're going to have to do, but they're definitely going to be relying on the draft to fill some spots at outside right. receiver. Yeah. Hey, and don't forget about Braxton Berrios uh, in the slot too. Uh, yeah, it, it's certainly the year if you need a receiver to, to go and get some in the draft, I fully expect the Jets to take two, uh, probably between rounds two and four. I think they're going to add two receivers and that's where I think you're going to find the value in this draft for receivers. So it's very possible that the Jets could walk away with two young studs at the, uh, at the receiver spot, but their scouting is just going to have to be right. And that's something that the Jets as an organization hasn't been very good at uh, in, in the past, really the past decade. But Hopefully Joe Douglas can change that. Lastly, Michael, before we get into Manish Mehta, any other moves that, that you could see the Jets making uh, in the next few weeks here as we, as we get closer and closer to the draft? Yeah, backup quarterback is one that they could look at. And, and we actually will, or we did ask Manish, but you will hear about it uh, after this. But we asked him about backup quarterback, whether they could go after Matt Moore. And it doesn't seem like that's uh, a guy that they've been in contact with, but they really do have to fill that spot at some point. But it's definitely no rush. Uh, on the backup quarterback market. So, you know, hopefully at some point they figure that out. Edge is where I'm really looking because Everson Griffin and Vinny Curry are still out there. Two guys who are uh, in different ways can still offer a lot in the passing game. Griffin is, uh, you know, he was still an every down starter last uh, last year, even into his 30s. He's still a very good player. Uh, I believe top 15 in pressures last season. Uh, so maybe he's probably looking for somewhere else. Like uh, Cleveland's been mentioned as a spot for him, but um, I see no reason the Jets really shouldn't be looking at him uh, with as desperate as they are for pass rush off the edge. But Vinny Curry's a situational guy could still produce at a very good efficiency uh, in a limited role as a pass rusher. So, you know, they still have a big needed edge and there are two really good pass rushers out there, even though they're in their 30s. Uh, they could definitely make sense for the Jets. So I- I'm looking at edge. Hopefully they could do something there uh, because the only move they've made there is re-signing Jordan Jenkins. And I think I've made my thoughts pretty well known on him on this podcast and uh, with some of the stuff I've written and tweeted. So they can still use some help there on the edge. So that's what I, where I'm hoping to see, uh, see them go. And also back of quarterback has been huge issue for them. Oh, and six averaging eight points per game without Darnold over his first few years. So uh, backup quarterback is something that should be at the front of their mind. So edge and backup quarterbacks where I hope they make something happen. And it doesn't have to be before the draft, but at some point uh, to get some help there. All right, well, that'll do it for our little uh, week update. Um, let's just hop into it. Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. Manish, how you doing? I know it's it's clearly a weird time right now. Are you uh, staying safe, staying healthy? Uh, I am. Uh, thanks for having me on. I hope you guys are staying safe as well. 
Yeah, you know, we're just kind of inside all day. Um, so, but we, I mean, we're, we have right. plenty of time to podcast, I guess. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I saw you wrote an article a little bit about this. Um, this, But how do you think that the coronavirus will and ultimately impact the Jets' total offseason or has it already with free agency? But when you look at like the draft and mini camp and training camp and you were talking about how the offensive line wants, you know, is going to need some time to develop chemistry and whatnot. How do you think this this, you know, pretty much unprecedented situation is going to uh, affect the Jets' offseason? Well, I think when you, you know, initially look at it, it's easy to say with a level playing field, right? Every team has to adapt to whatever the, you know, the new landscape is in terms of uh, lack of off-season time together. But it does impact different teams in different ways, uh, specifically uh, with the Jets. Look, they, they're going to have five new guys working together. Now, Alex Lewis is going to come back. Uh, depending on what happens in free agency, they might have Chuma and Doga be the right tackle. But in all likelihood, they're going to draft the right tackle. So you're going to have four guys coming uh, from the outside in, one guy who was back last year, but you know that entire group hasn't worked together. So you need the offseason to develop a chemistry and a rapport, and anyone who knows anything about football uh, realizes that that's what offensive line play is predicated on. It's, it's on feel and an understanding of what the guy to the left and what the guy to the right of you is doing. It's not always about... Uh, the high pedigree players. Now, it's great to have the high pedigree players, but if you had five first-round picks along the offensive line, that doesn't guarantee you anything. I mean, you can look through NFL history at some of the best lines that have ever been assembled, and it's typically a blend of high pedigree players, uh, you know, some guys who are marginal players, some guys who are undrafted, because those guys work best as a group. And you're not going to get that all solved, obviously, in the spring and the summer, but that's valuable time so that when week one of the regular season rolls around, you're in uh, you know, reasonably good shape. Now, you're going to develop as the regular season goes on as an offensive line as well, but uh, you know, using that time you have in the spring is, is critical. An offensive line play uh, really takes it to a different level when you put pads on in training camp, but uh, you shouldn't marginalize the importance of that time during the voluntary offseason program when you're talking about a new group of offensive linemen working together. So I think the Jets are going to be behind the eight ball there. Uh, just like if you look at Tampa with Tom Brady, a guy coming into a new system, yes, it's Tom Brady, but it's a new quarterback, and he needs this time in the spring as well to, you know, to be in reasonably good shape when the regular season rolls around. So it puts the Jets at a disadvantage for sure. Uh, there's obviously not much they can do because they're not going to be allowed to be in close quarters uh, with each other for the foreseeable future. But uh, it will have, a, I think, a tangible impact on the Jets uh, without a doubt, at least in the early part of the season, assuming, of course, that there is a season. So as you kind of touched on already, Manish, the Jets did add a few more names on the offensive line. They've got Greg Van Roden coming in, Connor McGovern, Alex Lewis is coming back, uh, George Fant is coming over. So the Jets are going to be working with uh, a lot of new names up front on the offensive line. And really, for the most part, Joe Douglas did uh, kind of unexpectedly approach this uh, this free agency period in a frugal sort of way. He was very careful not to overpay anyone. Uh, so was this approach sort of what we expected, sort of what you expected to, uh, to see from Douglas and this front office going into free agency? Or uh, were the ex- expectations a little bit higher in terms of the spending? Well, you know, what I thought was most interesting is that you've got basically a lot of new faces who are 
on a one-year trial run. That's basically what we're at. So I look at it as if they're in a holding pattern. Because when I look at other teams in the division, specifically the Bills, uh, they're building around Josh Allen. They spent big money in free agency last year for guys who they hoped would be around uh, over a a three-, four-year window. Uh, They traded for a young, potentially difference-making wide receiver in Stephon Diggs, who they obviously hope will be around beyond 2020. And then when I look at what the Jets did, it's basically uh, you know a dozen guys on one-year contracts. Now there's a few guys sprinkled in there that have three-year deals, which are essentially de facto one-year deals because they have an easy escape hatch for the team if the player doesn't perform uh, to their standards in 2020. The only guy, when you look at the 13 contracts that the Jets sold out, that uh, will in all likelihood, you know, barring something catastrophic, absolutely be back beyond 2020 is Connor McGovern. His three-year, $27 million deal came with $18 million guaranteed. So, uh, you know, logic would dictate that he is going to be around beyond one season, perhaps two, maybe the entire life of the contract, three and beyond. But certainly he's not a, a one-year fix. Whereas a guy like George Fant, his three-year, $27 million deal is essentially a one-year, nine-and-a-quarter-million-dollar deal when you look at the way the contract is structured. Uh, so it, it's kind of an opportunity for a guy like Fant to prove he can be a week-in and week-out starter. You know, to this point, he has been a spot starter. He's been using jumbo packages, as you guys know. I don't want to go into all the details because I'm sure you guys have discussed it ad nauseum. <laughs> but uh, he's on a, you know, he's on a prove-it year, basically. Even though technically it's a three-year contract, he's really on a prove-it deal. Uh, Greg Van Roten, he's getting backup money. To be perfectly honest with you, if you look at his contract. On paper, three years, ten plus million. The reality is, however, it's a one-year, three and a half million-dollar deal, and that's almost fifty percent less than what the Jets gave Alex Lewis, another three-year deal on paper. But the reality for Alex Lewis is, it's a one-year, six million-dollar deal. So six million dollars is not backup money for an offensive lineman. So you know that Alex Lewis is going to be one of your starting guards. I don't think you can say for certain as of you know late March that Greg Roten is going to be one of your starting guards, he's making $3.5 million. There's plenty of guys who make $3.5 million who are backups in this league at guard. Uh, so that's the reason I bring that up is because I don't know, and I can't tell you definitively, but I don't know if Brian Winters is absolutely going to be gone. Uh, you know, He's making $7 million and change, and people say, well, he needs to take a pay cut. And perhaps he does, and perhaps he will. Uh, you know, I, I can't say for certain on March 30th whether he will, but I don't think it's a slam dunk that he is not going to be on the team in uh, in 2020. Uh, now, if he doesn't want to take a pay cut and they're rigid about not wanting to pay him $7 million, then perhaps you know, they part ways. But I don't think you can look at the Greg Roten contract, Van Roten contract, and say he's absolutely penciled in to be a starter because he's not making starter money. It's backup money. Um, so... You know, that's just the offensive line. And then, you know, there are one-year deals on the defensive side as well with the Seer. And Jordan Jenkins is another whole story <laughs> about that that we can go into, uh, you know, a bit later. Brian Poole's on a second consecutive one-year prove-it deal. Uh, I just look at the team, guys, as being in a holding pattern because if you're supposed to develop and build around Sam Darnold, he needs foundation pieces around him. And as we stand right now, I don't know how many new foundation pieces other than the center – the Jets acquired in free agency because, again, 
there could be so much turnover a year from now where Joe Douglas is right back where he is, you know, where he was two weeks ago, uh, a year from now, looking for, you know, 10 or 12 different pieces because the guys that he signed on these one-year deals didn't work out. So it's a different approach than what Buffalo took. I do understand what Joe Douglas is trying to do. He doesn't want to make any overly aggressive slash risky decisions, but I do think that you need to have more foundation pieces. You know, they had a great opportunity to bring back a young foundation piece and Robbie Anderson, and I thought they blew that by not bringing him back. But, uh, you know, I just think when you look at it on the surface, uh, you know, theoretically I understand what Joe Douglas is trying to do, but I'm not sure he necessarily helped out his young quarterback that much. Right, and you touched on a, on a few topics there that we definitely want to want to hop into, but uh, I think one of the, the the primary things that Jets fans expected going into free agency was that they were going to walk away with one of these big ticket offensive linemen, whether it was going to be Joe Tooney or Jack Conklin or Graham Glasgow. How in were the Jets on the chase for one of those three, uh, and were you surprised to to see them not come away with one of them, or was that kind of the the expectation from the start in your eyes? Well, I thought they wanted Thune, uh, Tooney. Let me I mispronounce his name every time. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I guess it was uh, less than an hour before the official start of uh, the uh, tampering period where it got out that the Patriots are going to franchise him, so he wasn't available. Glasgow would make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, my understanding is that they were looking for Glasgow to be the center, so if they had signed Glasgow, they would not have signed Connor McGovern. Uh, Jack Conklin, they were never going to pay that kind of price for him. Uh, Cleveland much like the Jets were in dire straits when it came to their offensive line. But I don't believe the Jets were uh, ever really willing to pay that kind of money. Uh, it's an interesting uh, undercurrent to this free agency period. The, the Jets had been telling agents of, of these free agent players that they were cash-strapped, uh, that you know they didn't have the cash to pay. You know, Fans like to talk a lot about cap space, uh, you know, <laughs> which I think is funny because uh, – you know, smart teams, you know, typically any team, really, like let's lower the bar, it doesn't necessarily have to be a smart team, but typically any team uh, can maneuver the salary cap in a creative way. As long as you have a decent amount of money, and I think the Jets were operating with somewhere around $45, 50000000 million, something like that, before free agency started. You know, the bottom line was that they had ample cap space. The exact numbers largely irrelevant, uh, the, but they had enough space where that's not really the issue. You know, the central point when you enter free agency is how much cash are you willing to spend for your free agents? And if you're going to spend a lot of money in, on a monster contract, you're going to have to put a lot of money in escrow if you've if you got a big signing bonus uh, for a guy, for example. I mean, maybe you don't have to pay that signing bonus uh, the minute the guy signs on the contract. Maybe it's within a couple of weeks. Maybe it's within a few months. You know, that can be hammered out uh, when you're structuring the deal. But you have to put that money in escrow. So your ownership has to have the cash. And cash, to me, is probably the most uh, under-discussed part of free agency from a fan perspective, yet probably the most critical part of it, because cash means more than cap. So uh, Jets had been telling agents that you know, they did not have the cash, for whatever reason. I, I don't know... You know, the Johnsons' particular financial state and, and their willingness to spend right now, you know, I can't get in their heads, but that has been uh, a reality for Joe Douglas. That, you know, that had been a reality for these free agents who were considering coming to the Jets. It's not something I think should be you know, marginalized. It, you know, it's pretty, pretty important. So to answer your question in a roundabout way, 
how surprised was I that they didn't come away with one of these big ticket guys? You know, I gotta be honest with you. When I look at the free agents, there weren't that many difference making, truly difference making players in my estimation. I thought Byron Jones was a really good player, not a star player, but a really good player that the Dolphins got. Uh, the Jets were never going to spend that kind of money, sixteen, seventeen per year, whatever it ended up being. But uh, you know, missing out on a Jan Conklin to me, for example, not that big of a deal because I know that there was a division, uh, you know, not necessarily friction, but there was a division in the organization in terms of how good of a player is Jan Conklin. You know, is he an okay player? Is he a very good player? Is he below average? Uh, I don't think there was any kind of you know burning desire among everybody in that building to you know, sign Jan Conklin for 15 or 14, whatever he ended up signing, which was actually less than what people initially believed. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily surprised. I think the, the most thing, the, mo- the most surprising thing for me is the, just the, the sheer volume of one-year contracts uh, and then perhaps the most important uh, swing and miss from a Jets perspective was not bringing back Robbie Anderson. Not because Robbie Anderson's an all-pro player, but because Robbie Anderson's a young, ascending player who had developed a rapport and a chemistry with Sam Darnold over the past couple years. And if you are truly trying to foster an optimal environment for Sam Darnold, you don't rip away one of the few uh, you know, weapons that he actually has at his disposal. Well, you mentioned something really interesting there that I actually hadn't heard about, which is the Johnsons being cash strapped, and obviously that's that's a mildly concerning for for Jets fans. And I know you said you don't really know too much about the situation, but is that something you know? And I don't want to speak out of turn here or be be wrong about this, but off the top of my head, you know, wasn't Johnson and Johnson getting you know sued for like billions of dollars over like the opioid crisis or something? Like, is this something that the Johnson family is just losing money and and may not be able to to you know support? Um, the Jets being big spenders and free agency or even owning the team, or is that something that you, you don't have enough knowledge on the situation to comment about? Yeah, I can't speak to that. I mean, I, that would be unfair for me to, to jump to those type of conclusions. I just can tell you what the team was conveying to agents. And, right. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's an ulterior motive. Typically, if you are cash-strapped, you're not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to, if you're not cash-strapped, I should say, you're not going to lie about that in, in these types of scenarios. So, you know, if that's the message that's being conveyed from the building uh, to agents, then, you know, I have to take that as truth. And I think, again, if you just look at the contracts that were given out over the past couple of weeks, it's kind of, you know, borne out that way, that that is actually true. They're, they're, they're not you know, breaking the bank, per se. Uh, and, again, I, I don't know if there were that many players worth breaking the bank for, uh, but, uh, you know, just kind of shaving off a few million here and there for certain players uh, from a strategic standpoint, I don't necessarily agree with. Now, I'm not the general manager. Joe Douglas has to make those tough decisions. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at all these deals, and, and these are all guys that came relatively cheap. Uh, well, I shouldn't say all, but these are a lot of guys who came relatively cheap for a reason. Now, you can say that the Jets were bargain hunting, or you can look at through it through this lens. Uh, you get what you pay for. I mean, why were you getting a lot of these guys for two or three million dollars? There, there's a reason for that. It might be, be the quality of player. And I think some of some some of the deals they got were good deals. You know, uh, you know to me, Jordan Jenkins. Jordan Jenkins is an LT, right? And he's not a guy who's going to get 15 sacks a year. 
he's not that kind of player, but to get him on a one-year, $5 million deal. Now, there are extenuating circumstances. There was a domino that needed to fall that didn't fall for Jordan Jenkins because if it had, he would have gone to a different team on a, uh, on a multi-year deal. So uh, the Jets got fortunate in, in that respect. Uh, you know, that coupled with the fact that Jordan Jenkins really liked how Greg, Greg Williams used him in his scheme, uh, you know, played into the Jets' hands. But uh, by and large, when I, when I look at these, these deals that were doled out, they were either fair deals or, uh, you know, they were cheap for a reason. So, you know, right. I, you know, I don't subscribe to this notion that the Jets you know, hit a home run on, you know, a bunch of these guys by getting them below market value, frankly, because, and, and no disrespect to fans, uh, but fans don't know what the market value is. I mean, they, they, maybe they were told what the market value was by people before free agency, but, uh, you know, I think, you know, look, Greg Van Roten, I'm just I'm looking at my list here, uh, this notion that the Jets got this incredible deal because they're essentially paying him uh, $3.5 million for one year and they could cut him, I'm not sure that's an incredible deal. That's probably fair market value for him. You know, right. The perception was that perhaps he was going to get two, two and a half times more than that. That was never reality. That, you know, teams weren't knocking down the door for this player for a reason. So, uh, you know, I think by and large, the Jets just did a lot of affordable deals. Uh, now, you know, actually, I'm going to correct myself. I actually think the Jets made a really good deal here. Uh, it's not something that I don't think many people will talk about, but getting Neville Hewitt on a one-year, $2 million deal, uh, $1 million signing bonus, $1 million Paragraph five, which is base salary. Uh, that's a really good deal for a guy who had what twelve starts in, in a pinch last year. Right. Uh, yeah. To me, actually, I know that's probably not going to move the needle for a lot of people, but uh, you know, a one-year, two million dollar deal for Neville Hill is actually pretty good. But again, we're not talking about you know sizable deals here. Uh, I, I right. thought you know, Joe Joe Douglas took a conservative approach. It's probably the simplest, best way to describe it. Well, it's some interesting stuff right there, and and I am curious to hear more about um, the Johnsons being cast trapped um, throughout the you know maybe the the next year or whatnot. But speaking about Adam Gase, uh, and that this is the other um, domino that I thought might have an influence on free agency. Um, I guess there's two parts to this question. One from from Gase's perspective, or I guess Douglas's perspective. How much influence do you, do you think uh, he was taking from his coaching staff? Was he he was taking from Gase and Greg Williams in making these decisions? And then on the flip side of that, for the players, you know, was playing for Adam Gase uh, did that play a factor for for any free agents negatively in your mind? Just because of the you know negative uh, perception he he has uh, throughout the league. Uh, okay. Let's let's try let's try the second part first. <laughs> <laughs> the Adam Gates, uh, <laughs> the Adam Gates tax. So I, you know, so I reached out to a bunch of people before free agency, uh, front office executives, general managers, and uh, you know, there's a sense that the Jets would have to pay more than anybody else for premium free agents with options. Uh, that doesn't apply to everybody because not everybody has options. I mean, certain free agents, you know, are getting what they're getting for a reason. They're, you know, they're not coveted around the league. So it doesn't apply to those players. Jets can get players like that. But if you have a situation where you have you know, three or four viable suitors, the Jets would have to pay the most. That doesn't mean they have to uh, break the bank on the surface, but for a particular player, they might have to quote-unquote overpay. I think that's the, that, that's the general census, uh, consensus around the league. Uh, and that stands to reason. Why would you want to play for the Jets? They haven't made the playoffs in the last eight years. 
they do have an, you know an eccentric head coach. I'll put it that way. Uh, so you know, those are all factors. Uh, I think the X factor is if you're a defensive player, you kind of have to look it through the lens that uh, Jordan Jenkins, for example, did, which is you know, he views Greg Williams as the head coach. I think uh, just being around the team for the past year, I, I, I think that's a you know by and large what the defensive players think. Uh, you know, they view Greg Williams as their head coach. He's obviously the guy that they deal with the most, and and he's a guy who is really, uh, you know, well respected among his players, uh, almost to a man. Now he's extremely demanding, uh, and you know, history has shown that he's not for every player, but the, for the guys that are in the Jet locker room right now, I think there's an affinity for Greg Williams, and I think it matters to them that uh, you know, he's a guy who doesn't make excuses. He's a guy who can really bring out the best in a group. And you know, the proof is in the pudding. This is just not you and I talking on a podcast. I think if you look at the results, the results speak for themselves. You know, They went through a litany of injuries, much like the offensive side of the ball did. However, the Jets' defense kind of overcame all that, and you didn't hear uh, the, the defensive coordinator whine about injuries publicly and from my knowledge not even privately uh about it and i think that's a, a winning mindset thing i think that's the proper mindset so if you're a defensive free agent uh, i think you've got to look at it through that lens uh but by and large uh you know i'm not sure adam gates is the first guy that offensive players would want to play for uh, you know i can put it that way i think uh if you look at the you know the offensive player who had the most production who left the building this off season, I, I think it'd be fair to say that uh, you know Robbie Anderson really wanted to play for Matt Rule because of the relationship that he had with Matt Rule at Temple, because of his respect for Matt Rule as a leader, as a guy who can galvanize not only the offense but galvanize a team at the college level. We'll obviously see what happens at the pro level, but you know Matt Rule has the reputation of being someone you want to play for, uh, and I wouldn't necessarily you know say that. Uh, similar things could be said about the current Jet head coach. So I want to circle back to the offensive line and the first outside signing that the Jets did make, or at least was announced in the tampering period, was George Fant. And it was somewhat surprising because, you know, what like what we talked about, uh, the Jets were kind of figured to be in the running for some of those top names. But George Fant was the first guy that they picked up in the offensive line. So uh, how did Joe Douglas and the Jets kind of end up with Fan? Was he one of their first-tier targets going into free agency? Was he a fallback once they uh, decide they weren't going to be on, on Conklin, weren't going to get Tooney? Uh, so was he a fallback, or was he kind of a guy that they had their eyes on before free agency? And what did they see with him as well? Because like we said, he hasn't uh, started too many games for Seattle. Is mostly an extra offensive lineman for them. So what do they see in him, and just how did their path lead to him going into free agency and then once things opened up? Well, he's very athletic, and they haven't penciled in at left tackle. So it's not as if they swung and missed on a left tackle and he was their you know, plan B at left tackle because Jack Conklin's always, he's always going to be on the right side. Tooney's a guard, so he's going to play on the interior. Uh, Fant is an interesting player, and I'm sure you guys have dissected it. He is very athletic. Uh, it'd be much more appealing if you were 22 or 23 years old as opposed to uh, on the verge of being 28. So, you know, he's a guy who still has a, a lot of room for growth and development. Uh, he's also uh, one of those guys that's going to be, you know, in, in a trial period. Uh, 
the question I think you need to ask yourself if you're the Jets is how confident are you in having George Fant start play in and play out week in and week out to protect Sam Darnold's blind side? Because right now he is the starting left tackle. Now things could change uh, if they end up, for example, making a trade for Trent Williams, which doesn't look likely as of right now, uh, making a signing for a veteran, uh, when I say veteran, I mean Jason Peters, who has a history, of course, with Joe Douglas in Philly. Uh, but he's going to be 38. Uh, he gets you know, nicked up, and that's you know understandable because he's going to be 38. Uh, what I will say is that when Jason Peters does actually play, even at this advanced stage in his career in the twilight, he's still a very good player. Like he's he still would be a massive upgrade over George Fant if healthy. But I don't know if you can count on him to be healthy. I don't also know if the Jets would be willing to pay uh, ten, twelve million dollars. You know, they're they're already paying George Fant uh, a little over nine, so obviously they would have to pay Jason Peters more than that. And circling back to what we said, you know, a little bit earlier about them being cash strapped. Uh, yes, they can free up some money by cutting Avery Williamson and perhaps Brian Winters. That would clear roughly, I think, $13 million if they got rid of both of those guys. Uh, so it's it's possible, uh, probably not preferable, but possible. And let's just say, for argument's sake, they don't sign Peters, they don't make a trade for Trent Williams, then you have to look at the draft. And if one of the tackles that they like is available at the 11th spot, would you try him out? On the left side, uh, depending on who the player is, uh, some of these guys can play on the left side. Some guys are much better on the right side. So, you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces. It's, there's a lot of gray area there. But in terms of fans specifically, uh, I thought it was a good move when I first heard about it simply because I, I like the potential. Uh, I like the athleticism. Uh, I did not know what the parameters of the contract were at the time. I actually figured he would be a backup. I figured he'd be in that swing role. He was used, you know, as you guys know, in, as a as a six offensive lineman, a jumbo tight end in Seattle for Brian Schottenheimer's offense uh, the past couple of years. Uh, he fared reasonably well, I thought, when he played for uh, Jermaine Effetti when he was hurt, uh, probably better than Effetti. And I, I think uh, I think the league understands that because Effetti signed with, I believe, Chicago, and uh, the intent is to play him at guard. And my understanding is that most teams, when they were looking at Effetti, they were looking at him actually as a guard. I think the Jets were actually open to the idea perhaps of signing Effetti as well uh, on the right side uh, as the right tackle. But, uh, you know, obviously that didn't come to fruition. So, uh, so look, there's, there's some promise there for George Fant. He's going to have to show a lot. He's going to have to show a lot, obviously, quickly, because if things don't turn out well in 2020, they can move on from him. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think there was any kind of dynamic big money left tackle uh, at their disposal. Uh, I, You know, I actually thought they should bring back Kelvin Beecham because I thought he did reasonably well. I know the line, obviously, as a whole underperformed drastically last year. But I thought that Beecham did reasonably well. He's an experienced veteran guy. The team played well when he was healthy. Sam Darnold, I think, had a comfort level there, knowing that his blind side would be protected by and large. Uh, but the Jets, you know, decide to go with the more athletic, uh, you know, slightly younger piece to the puzzle. I think he's about two, two and a half years younger than Beecham. Uh, I thought it would have been smarter, frankly, to sign Beecham. And if you want to bring in Fant, you can bring him in, but just have him start at your right tackle as opposed to temporarily at least 
having him on the left side, you know, that's a risk. I think it's an unnecessary risk that Joe Douglas took, but he obviously believes, uh, you know, that uh, Fant is worth giving an opportunity to at least for one year. So before the Jets get to the draft and, you know, hopefully get that another starting tackle at the 11th spot, they do have a few more holes to fill. And free agency has kind of hit a dry spell over the last few days, last week or so. Uh, the Jets do still have some holes left. So there are some decent names out there. They could use a backup quarterback. They could still use help on the edge. And there are some uh, Vinnie Curry's out there. Everson Griffin, uh, wide receivers, obviously on the outside, uh, still a big hole for them, even after adding Rashad Perriman. They could use some depth at running back. So there are still some holes that they could plug. So what do you see them doing uh, before the draft comes, whether it be through free agency or through trade, uh, to plug up some of these small holes that they still have? Well, look, they need a backup quarterback, right? I think if any team realizes the importance and the value of backup quarterback, it should be uh, the Jets, given what happened last year. Uh, when Sam Darnold was not playing, and it's some relatively slim pickings at the, you know at the backup quarterback spot. The, the name that obviously jumps out is Matt Moore because of the relationship and the history that he has had with Adam Gase. Uh, if you guys remember, the only playoff game that Adam Gase has ever had as a head coach came with Matt Moore as his starting quarterback. They ultimately lost to the Steelers in that game, but uh, Matt Moore is a, actually a quality player. He played reasonably well when uh, Patrick Mahomes was was out last year in Kansas City. Uh, I don't believe there's been, there's been communication. I don't believe the Jets have actually made overtures toward Matt Moore uh, as of yet. But uh, that being said, I'm not sure. You know, A lot of teams are going to be knocking down his door, so I'm not sure that's something to be overly concerned about. But uh, they certainly need to address that situation. Punter is another area that needs to get solved. Uh, I know that they wanted to sign Sam Martin, who was on Detroit. He ultimately signed a three-year, $7 million deal with uh, with the Broncos. Uh, I think it's off the top of my head. I believe it's essentially a one-year, two, two-and-a-half million dollar deal. Too rich for the Jets' blood, so so he's he's gone. Uh, the draft is, is an area that I think that the Jets could address the punter situation. They could also get, you know, get, get a guy off the street, Matt. Matt Dars, a guy who was in camp, if you guys remember, last year competing with Lachlan Edwards. Uh, he has a familiarity with Adam Gase. Uh, so, you know, those are options. Uh, I think the guy to keep an eye on in the draft is a Texas A&M kid who won the uh, Ray Guy Award two years ago, uh, Braden Mann. I know the Jets uh, are really doing their due diligence on him. So, you know, could he be a day three pick? Potentially. Uh, but that's obviously a position that you need. So backup quarterback, punter, uh, edge rusher, uh, uh, you know, maybe even if it's a situational guy, uh, you know, Bears monitoring. They initially really wanted to bring in Vinnie Curry as a situational pass rusher. He's a guy who had success in Philly when Joe Douglas was there. Uh, I thought he was fairly efficient last year as well. Uh, you know, as of now, I, I, I don't believe that that's going to be an option for them. I can't tell you, you know, what happened, but I can tell you, you know, about a week and a half ago that they were, you know, gung-ho trying to get him aboard. But, uh, you know, perhaps finances, again, play a role in in why he's not part of the equation. Uh, I can't say for certain, but, uh, you know, my understanding as of now is that, uh, you know, he's not an option. Maybe that changes moving forward. But, uh, you know, I would have told you a week and a half ago, in fact, I, I did report a week and a half ago that that's a guy that they wanted to sign. But, you know, they couldn't connect 
uh, in terms of getting you know a right deal done. But uh, I would say that you know those are the three areas: you know, backup quarterback, a punter, and uh, some kind of situational edge pass rusher would be areas that they would like to shore up. I mean, will they bring in guys before the draft? Perhaps uh, you obviously get much more clarity after the draft because you know what you've addressed and what you still need to address. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that. You know, when you look at all the boxes that Joe Douglas needed to check off, by and large, from a positional standpoint, he did that. Uh, you know, the big question, of course, is uh, did he bring in the right guys? And that's not an answer that we're going to know uh, until the games get rolling for real. Now, now, Manish, we only have a few more questions for you. Know, we, we know you're a very busy man, um, so we'll, we'll try to get through this. Just a few more. Um, just pivoting a little bit towards the draft. Do you believe free agency has changed Joe Douglas's approach towards the draft at all? Uh, specifically, I know many people uh, were assuming and still are assuming that the Jets are, are trying to get one of those top four tackles at 11. But do you think after free agency, um, specifically not bringing back Robbie Anderson, do you think that they could pivot more towards looking at a receiver or trading down? Or do you think Joe Douglas's plan is still intact, is to take that offensive lineman at 11 and then do some work in the in the mid to late rounds? Well, I think there's absolutely uh, uh, a point of emphasis to bring in a receiver uh, or receivers in all likelihood uh, in the premium rounds. When I say premium rounds, I mean first three rounds. Uh, I still would be surprised if Joe Douglas took a wide receiver at 11 uh, just because uh, you know, he understands building a team begins in the trenches, so it's inside out, and he also understands that uh, there really might not be any foundational piece uh, outside perhaps the center that he currently has at his disposal. So passing up on one of those four tackles would be very difficult for him to do. I, ultimately, I don't see him passing up on one of those guys. It just becomes so much more interesting uh, from a reporter standpoint, maybe not necessarily from a team standpoint, but from a, a reporter standpoint, it becomes very, uh, very interesting to see what he decides to do if those four tackles are gone. And uh, I still think it's possible uh, right now, the Jets' best friend would be to, uh, Justin Herbert if, if, if a team takes him in the top ten. And it appears that that, that might happen. I, can't, I don't know. I can't say for certain. But uh, you know, I think it's fairly certain that two is going to be in the top ten. Uh, and if, if Herbert's in the top ten, that obviously increases the opportunity for another good player to slide down to 11. Uh, and by extension an offensive lineman, perhaps to slide back to 11. You know, I, I look at some of the, you know, you know, barring trades, I mean, a team from the outside of the top 10 can obviously leap into the top 10. But, uh, you know, barring any kind of massive trades outside of the top 10, uh, the Chargers at six really need a quarterback, but they also need offensive line help. So uh, what they do at six is going to be cru- crucial, really. And, and, again, Trent and Williams' fate, I think, will be crucial because if the Browns make a deal for Trent Williams, and I know that the Jets are keeping their fingers crossed that they do, then that also increases the odds that one of those top four tackles slides to them at 11. Uh, and look, we have all discussed, and I'm sure you guys have done as well, uh, you know, who these top four tackles are. That doesn't mean there's only four tackles in this draft. And that doesn't mean that Josh Jones uh, from Houston – or the kid from USC, Jackson. That doesn't mean those guys aren't viable tackles. And it certainly doesn't mean that the Jets don't like those guys. So, uh, you know, perhaps there's a scenario where those four tackles are gone when the Jets are on the clock, but then there's a quarterback-hungry 
team or maybe a team that really wants one of those top wide receivers that's willing to move up two or three or four spots and the Jets could slide down a few spots, pick up an extra second, but on all likelihood third round pick and still get an offensive tackle. So yeah, I, I don't think that Joe Douglas is closing the door on any of his options. It would be foolish to, uh, but I just think in a perfect world, you know, if he had his druthers, uh, he would get his hands on one of those four tackles at 11. So it's been a few weeks now and, you know, just a few weeks. We haven't seen him draft yet, but we've got to see Joe Douglas kind of, uh, you know, for the first time he's been here for a few months, but now for the first time we've got to see him make a few moves and just learn a little bit about his approach and vision with this team. So uh, through these first few weeks of free agency, what have you been able to learn from Douglas's overall vision and just the way that he's going to build a team? Because obviously overall, like you've talked about plenty, uh, he's been mostly keeping it on the cheaper side and not that he's being cheap, but just in terms of the contracts, he hasn't been, you know, going all out with splashy free agents, the bigger names, just kind of staying. Uh, setting a price and staying below that number for the most part. So do you think that the approach we've seen so far is uh, kind of a sign of how he's going to build his team in the long term in the long term? Or is it more just the fact that, you know, this is his first year. He wants to establish that he's not going to be pulled around in negotiations, kind of put a stamp on the roster, clean up the cap a little bit, especially after the money that was thrown out uh, thrown around last season. So do you think Douglas is kind of just putting a stamp on this team, on this roster, with it being his first year? Or is this kind of how he's going to build this team long-term? Well, it's impossible to know how he's going to approach you know, 2021 free agency, 2022. Right. Uh, but when you look at what he inherited, and uh, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to throw dirt on, uh, on uh, Mike McCagnan. Uh, that being said, uh, I can tell you with great, assert, with great certainty that Le'Veon Bell would not be a Jet if Joe Douglas were the general manager at the start of free agency last year. C.J. Mosley would not be a Jet if Joe Douglas were running last year's free agency. Uh, I, I don't believe that when he looks at positional value, he thinks that doling out that kind of money for a running back or an inside linebacker makes sense. Uh, I'm not saying it's the right or the wrong approach. I'm, I'm just telling you that that's uh, – how Douglas would have viewed it. Now, in terms of what he's doing now, uh, I mean, he does offer himself some wiggle room. There is flexibility for the future, and there's value in flexibility. So I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to diminish the importance of flexibility. But I also want to make this point, which I think is a critical point: when you have a young franchise quarterback on his rookie contract, the time to be aggressive and to make moves to bolster your team to be a viable playoff contender is now during that quarterback's four-year, you know, five-year with a fifth-year team option, but let's just say four-year window. You saw about a decade ago Seattle do that when Russell Wilson was the quarterback. You know, they signed their own guys. They happened to have a lot of talent on defense. Uh, in-house, so they sign those guys to extensions. You're seeing that in Buffalo uh, by them building around Josh Allen, and we can have a different discussion at a different time about whether Josh Allen is a franchise quarterback, but the, what they are doing right now in Buffalo is what I wish the Jets would have done with Sam Darnold, you know, maximize this four-year window when he is making peanuts, because he's not going to be making peanuts for that much longer. Uh, before you know it, Sam Darnold is going to have a 125 plus million dollar contract. 
eating up a big portion of the salary cap. And then you're going to be hamstrung in ways that you're not hamstrung right now. And so while Joe Douglas is taking this one-year approach and, and giving a lot of these guys you know, a modest contracts and an opportunity to prove that they can be a part of the future, uh, as he is doing that, the clock is ticking and time is running out of Sam Darnold's rookie deal. So next year will be year four. 2021 will be year four of Sam Darnold's rookie deal. He's probably going to be looking for a new contract next year. And then before you know it, you have squandered this incredibly valuable window of time where you could have built around the young quarterback. Instead, and this is, goes back to what I said at the very beginning, I feel like the Jets are in a holding pattern because they've got a lot of uncertainty with guys on one-year deals. They don't have a litany of foundation pieces. I mean, who are the foundation pieces of this team? You can say with certainty Sam Darnold, uh, Jamal Adams, uh, is Quinton Williams. I mean, you know Quinton Williams is going to be around because he's on his rookie contract, but can you say with certainty that he's going to be a pillar for this team? Uh, I think if you're being fair, the answer to that is no. You can't say with certainty. Uh, you're hopeful, you're optimistic, but you can't say with certainty. Uh, I would have said a year ago that Chris Herndon fell into that foundation category, but Chris Herndon did not play last year. He's entering year three. He had a promising rookie year, and you're optimistic with him as well, but I don't think you can say with 100% certainty he's going to be a foundation piece. And then you've got Marcus May, who's going to be looking for a new deal himself in another year. So there's not that many pieces in place where you can say, you know what, we got a really nice core group of six, seven, eight guys that we can build around uh, with Darnold. You've probably got you know, a few guys, and that's not enough. That's definitely not enough to be a sustainable winner. So while I understand in theory what Joe Douglas is doing, and I agree with the idea of building uh, in the trenches, uh, I just don't know if I'm sold on the pieces that he brought in. Uh, and even the most optimistic Jet fan can't say with certainty that these players that are now new Jets are the right players for the future because uh, they were brought in on modest deals or modest contracts for a reason. They weren't necessarily highly coveted. Right. This is uh, very clearly uh, an important draft for Joe Douglas. And, and if he wants to have any sort of success on Sam Darnold's rookie contract, he really needs to stick the landing on this one, not just in the first round like Michael Cagnon, but specifically on day two and day three of the draft, he has to find uh, some gems. Manish, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on our podcast. You're always amazing. Uh, you always just bring terrific uh, insight, and uh, we're we're very fortunate to have a guest like you on. Is there anything you'd like to plug for listeners? Uh, they can follow you at, at mmeta, uh, NYDN on Twitter, but is there anything? Uh, I saw you released a new article uh, today. Just uh, anything that our listeners should, should be on the lookout for, uh, from you? Uh, no, nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, I would just ask, <laughs> uh, like many people have said uh, over the past two weeks, to stay at home, and if people just, you know, realize that you know the, the short-term quote-unquote pain will lead to you know long-term gain in terms of everybody you know regaining uh, you know, the normal life that we we once had uh, i think uh, you know that that would be best for everyone and it has nothing to do with football i, I totally understand that but uh, I, I just think that if people are disciplined now and stay at home and uh, you know for lack of a better phrase suck it up for now then we can kind of get back to our, our normal way of living sooner rather than later. 
Uh, wise words from a wise man. Manish, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We, we really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News. Again, he's just always uh, a terrific guest. Uh, we just love having him on. It just get, uh, provides just such great insight uh, and knowledge into the team and, and always gives a, throws us a few scraps uh, you know, on, on rumors and stuff to look out for. So we just really appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule um, to talk to us. But anyways, as he said, stay safe, stay inside. Um, you know, this, this will pass, um, but certainly a, a weary time, um, for not just, you know, sports fans or anything, but just people around the world. So we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to listen to this podcast. You can follow it at CYJ pod on Twitter. You can follow myself at Ben W Blessington, and you can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Again, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, whatnot. Uh, and you can also find this podcast on jetsxfactor.com, the new Jets um, subscription-based website that Michael and, and, and Robbie Sabo and Joe Blewett have started. Our podcast is featured on it. just has the best Jets content out there. First month free, uh, just, you know, even, if you consider yourself just a big football nut, even if you don't want to pay um, for, you know, for football content or whatnot, just go check it out. As I said, the first month is free. Just, just look through it um, because it's, it's really some, some high-quality stuff. Uh, and I'm just glad that our, I'm happy to say that our podcast is a part of it. So um, that'll do it for us. Uh, as I said, stay safe, stay inside, stay healthy, uh, and, and we'll get through this together. We'll have an interview with Mike DeVito as our next uh, former Jets defensive lineman during the AFC Championship days during our next uh, podcast. So be on the lookout for that. And then we'll hop into some draft content, and that'll take us all the way to the NFL draft. So we're excited to be uh, broadcasting to you throughout the, uh, the the spring as it's clearly the best time to be a New York Jets fan. But stay safe, stay inside, and we'll be back next week.